often wonder what it would be like to tell an angel to shut up. <laughs> Just hit me as I was watching that clip. Oh, man, we are really glad you're here today. If you haven't done so, if you could check in and let us know that you're here, check in on the Realm Connect app and uh, let us know that you're here. We're trying to do a good job of getting everybody checked in as you're coming in. We appreciate your patience on that. Um, so, you know, we do that just so we can just be sure. If we're missing somebody, we want to know so we can reach out and make sure they're doing okay. So um, I'm struggling with a cold or something. I'm not sure what this is. I started Christmas night, and um, thank you to whoever gave it to me. Appreciate you sharing. We are a church that shares, so, uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, bear with me as we go through this message, and uh, if you'd like to give an offering this morning, we don't pass the trays or anything like that, but we have uh, boxes by the exits you can leave your offering in, or if you'd like to give online at hcchrist.org, uh, we appreciate your offerings there. A lot of cool stuff going on. Uh, we ask you, if you want to get involved, go to hcchrist.org, and on the homepage, you'll see all kinds of stuff to get involved with. Uh, one of those things coming up in January is our Class 101 Discover, Discover class, Discover HCC. And if you have not taken this class, we invite you to do that. It's, it's really all about uh, who HCC is. Uh, it talks about baptism, church membership, our structure. Uh, we would love for everyone to go through this class. So if you've already taken Class 101, you do not need to take it again. But if you have not, I encourage you. It's going to be on January 15th and Monday night. At 6.30, it's about an hour and a half long, I'll be leading that. So you can register for that class at hcchrist.org. Click on the registration link, and uh, we'd love to know if you're coming because we have to prepare the materials. So make sure you sign up for that. In two Sundays from now, we are going to have a congregational meeting right after our second worship service. And uh, the elders are just going to present kind of a year-end review, how did 2023 go for HCC, and then what's coming up next this year, what some of our goals are. We want to introduce to you our ministry leads and things like that. So hang out with us uh, in two Sundays from now. Next Sunday uh, will be Terry and Carrie's last official Sunday with us. Um, they'll be at camp the following Sunday. So next Sunday we're going to honor them in our worship services uh, make sure you're here for that. Uh, if you'd like to bring a card and just kind of congratulate them and thank them, and uh, uh, we're sad to see them go, but man, God's got some great stuff in store for, for them, and I'm excited to see that happen in their lives. So we're at, we are wrapping up our message series this morning, Christmas at the Movies. I hope you've enjoyed this series. Uh, we just watched a clip from It's a Wonderful Life. Anyone, anyone not seen It's a Wonderful Life? Let me see. Not, not you have not seen It's a Wonderful I am surprised. Holy moly. Wow. Um, I remember when I was a kid, and some of you are my age or younger, and when I was a kid, that movie was on like a Christmas story is on now all day. It used to be on all winter long. Um, anyway, if you haven't seen it, I'll kind of give an overview of what's going on in the movie. In the scene we just watched, Clarence is an angel trying to earn his wings. And um, he saves, if you will, George Bailey's life. George Bailey wants to die because if it hadn't been for him, all of these things in his life would not have happened. Every, everybody would have been happier if it hadn't been for George Bailey. And so this angel comes along, saves George Bailey, Bailey's life, if you will, and he grants George's wish. Uh, essentially, you'd never been born, but you're going to get to see what life would have been like had you not been born. And so if it hadn't been for George, what he gets to see then is, first of all, his brother would have died at a very young age. 
which means that his brother would not have saved hundreds of soldiers' lives in the war years later. All right? Uh, the town druggist, uh, Mr. Mr. Uh, Gower, he would have inadvertently poisoned one of his customers, one of his clients, if it hadn't been for George. Uh, and then Mr. Gower would have spent like 20 years in jail, and then he would end up as a homeless man later on in life. Uh, but but uh, George Bailey made a difference in his life. His wife Mary, his would-be wife Mary, would have died an old maid, a librarian, lived a secluded life. She would not have been happy. And then Mr. Potter, who was Bailey's nemesis, if you will, would have run the town of um, Bedford Falls. And the town would have been very seedy, uh, a lot of girly shows, bars and casinos. It just been, would have been really bad. And so by the end of the movie, George Bailey realizes that his life actually did make a huge difference in, in these people's lives all around him. Uh, and, and it made a big, better difference for these people's lives. And so the question this morning I want to ask is this. What if Jesus had never been born? <laughs> you know, what if the, what if the uh, angels never appeared to Mary or Joseph or to the shepherds out in the fields? What if the star had never appeared for the wise men to follow from the east to uh, Bethlehem? Would there be a hole, do you think, in our world today? Would our world look differently, you think, today? Would your world look differently today? Now, the reality is, if Jesus had never been born, he still would have existed, right? Uh, the Apostle John tells us in chapter 1, John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, right? So Jesus was, has always been, Jesus always will be. Uh, so Jesus still would have existed, but the question really is, what if Jesus had never come to earth? What if God in the flesh had never appeared on the earth? Do you think it would have made a huge difference? Most likely it, it would have. And what I want to do, you know, when we look at the Christmas season, we've, I've kind of mentioned throughout the series, we kind of glamorized the, the Christmas uh, story, haven't we? You know, we sing about the little town of Bethlehem, and uh, we sing about the manger, and we just kind of just idealize, you know, this been, must have been just a, a wonderful time in Mary's life. You know, we sing about the silent night, the holy night. All is calm. All is bright. But in reality, I don't think it was like that at all. I want to take you to a different scene, a different manger scene found in Revelation chapter 12, and it is all but calm and merry and bright, okay? Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse 2, it says this, she was pregnant, so it's talking about Mary, she's pregnant with Jesus, and she cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. That doesn't sound silent. <laughs> that doesn't sound peaceful. She's crying out in agony, right? Then another sign appeared in heaven. John says he saw this a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on its head were seven crowns. How many of you have a dragon in your nativity scene? Lyle Baker. <laughs> Anybody else? I'm just curious. Oh, you do too, Carmen. So here in the nativity, in the original birth of Jesus' story, is this fiery red dragon. And I, know, I knew Lyle did this. He puts a dragon in the nativity scene. It's not typically something we do, is it? The fiery red dragon represents who? Satan, right? So Satan is there at the birth of Jesus Christ. It says its tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven, hurled them to the earth. 
And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth. Could you imagine? Not the doctor, not Joseph, but Satan himself is ready to devour the child, ready to make war on him. She gave birth to a son, this is Jesus, a male, who is going to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So Jesus is safe from Satan. Thank God, praise God, right? Because otherwise it would have been a whole different story. So we read later on in the same chapter that uh, John goes on to describe this battle that takes place between Michael and his angels, the good guys, and Satan and his angels, the bad guys, right? And this, this, uh, this battle takes place, and of course Satan loses the battle in his throne and hurled upon the earth with all of his demons. And it, and it shows that Satan is now going off to make war with all of humanity, basically. Anyone who calls themselves Christians, really. And so Satan is off to make war. What if Satan had won that battle, right? I mean, there's no way, you know, there's no way he was ever going to win that battle. But what if Satan had won that battle? What if Jesus, when he was born, Satan devoured him? Or what if Jesus had, really the question is, what if Jesus had never come to earth? If it hadn't been for Jesus, I think a lot of things would be different in our world today, right? So I know for a lot of us, maybe all of us in this room, Jesus has made a difference in our personal lives, has he not? He's made a huge difference in my life, and so I'm thankful and grateful for that. But what I want to look at is the big picture. What is the difference Jesus has made in this world? The fact is, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, Jesus has made an impact in our world today. For example, because of Jesus, we measure time, right? Our calendar is divided into B.C. and A.D., right? B.C. before Christ and A.D. meaning in the year of our Lord, talking about Jesus. So even, even the strongest atheist cannot argue the fact that Jesus has made an impact in our world today, okay? So, but beyond that, <coughs> excuse me, there are a few other things to consider how Jesus has made an impact in our world today. Let's consider for a moment women. Jesus has made a huge impact in the role of women uh, in, in today's culture. In ancient cultures, <coughs> excuse me, wives were considered the husband's property. Right? Could you imagine women? You're owned by your husband. Sounds great, doesn't it, Terry? <laughs> They were owned by their, by their husbands, and, and that's, how they, that's how they grew up. That's what they believed. Greek philosopher Aristotle, we think he's one of the greatest philosophers of all time, right? He uh, lived about 400 years before Jesus came to earth, and Aristotle believed and taught that women were inferior and that their main sole purpose on earth was to obey men. Men sounds like a great role, right, for your wife. No, but, but this is what they believed. They were inferior and they were to be obeyed by men. Uh, uh, they were simply to obey men. In ancient India, China, Rome, and Greece, men believed that women were incompetent and were not able to be independent. They could not live on their own. In other words, women needed man. They needed a man, okay? This is what they believed. Prior to Christian influence in India, I'll talk about India just for a moment here. India, widows were often voluntarily and involuntarily offered as sacrifices on their husband's funeral beers, burned to death on their husband's funeral beers. Uh, in India also, baby girls uh, were killed um, 
and, uh, which is still common today in many cultures where the, the gospel of Jesus has not reached. Could you imagine? Baby girls killed. Um, but what happens in India in about the beginning of the 19th century, all of these practices started coming to an end. Why? Because of Christian missionary influence. Jesus makes a difference in a whole country when it comes to women. Pretty cool. Now get this. Many of the Hindus, also from India, they accuse the Bible of being written by women because of the high regard that the Bible puts women in. Oh, women must, a woman must have written the Bible because they elevate women, right? That's what they say. So Jesus comes along, and he does more than anybody else to elevate the status of women in society, right? He really does. He talked to them. That was not common in his day. He, he uh, restored them. He healed them. He forgave them, and he loved them. Jesus does this because all people matter to God, right? And so if you think about this, God could have come into this world in any way. He could have chose any way to come into this world. What does he do? He chooses a young woman to bear his son and to raise the son of God. He chose a woman. Jesus did more to elevate women in society than anybody else. How about children? At the time that Jesus was born, abortion was very predominant. Uh, It was considered normal. It was considered a desirable part of everyday living just to go and get rid of your child. Parents would leave their uh, their, uh, newly born children in the woods for either to be devoured by animals, wild animals, or for uh, uh, perverts to come along and take that child to be whatever he or she deemed him to be. If a child was born with deformities, they were simply discarded among the trash. Um, ancient cultures and even some of the Jewish people we read in the Old Testament believe that if you sacrificed your children in the fire to a god, then the gods would look with favor upon you and they would make your life easier. Sound familiar? All to the sacrifice of gods. Romans believed that children were the property of the father. A father could decide up until the age of eight years old whether that child could live, could be killed, or could be sold. It depended on the family's financial status. That's how much they love children, right? Jesus comes along. What's he do? He elevates the status of children, doesn't he? What's he say? Let the little children come to me. All the disciples are like, yeah, get away, get away. They're shooing them away. And Jesus is like, no, let them come to me. Jesus even tells us, you know what? Your faith should be like the faith of that as a child. And he even says, he challenges us to take care of children, right? He says, if you offer a drink, a cold drink of water to these children, you will be blessed, right? So uh, Jesus comes along and he elevates uh, the status of children. His own brother, Jesus' own brother, James, writes this letter, right? James chapter 1, verse 27 says that pure and undefiled religion is looking out for widows and orphans. How are we doing when it comes to children, right? Maybe we could do better. But because of Jesus, Christians have cherished life as sacred, generally, even the life of the unborn. In ancient Rome, Christians went and they saved many of these uh, these babies that were left abandoned, they went and saved these babies and brought them into their homes. Many of these people, they opened up their homes and turned them into orphanages. Christian men and women 
made their homes orphanages to take care of these children nobody else wanted. Could we do better as Christians? I think so, right? Jesus made all the difference in children's lives. How about slavery? Uh, Just real quickly here, unfortunately, it is true that many Christians did own slaves. Um, but it's also true that many Christians are attributed to have, uh, to have ended the slave trade uh, uh, activity that was going on. <coughs> Excuse me. Historians credit uh, British evangelist or missionary Wilbur Wilberforce as the primary drive behind ending the international slave, slave trade. Isn't that cool? <coughs> Two-thirds of the members of the American Abolition Society were Christian ministers. Because of Jesus, slave trade ended in the United States of America, right? Jesus made also a difference in, (coughs) excuse me, the poor. We know that poverty has always been a part of life on earth, and Jesus said the poor will always have with us. (coughs) But it's the Christian people who have tried to make a big difference uh, in the lives of those who are poor. In fact, Christians inspired by Jesus have done more than any other institution or people group or organization to help the poor around the world in all of history. There are countless of third world orphanages, Christian orphanages. There are uh, hundreds and numerous inner city missions, hundreds of food pantries, all having been inspired by Jesus to help the poor. You think of organizations like the Salvation Army, the YMCA, uh, Compassion International, World Vision, Operation Blessing, Children's Hunger Fund, Samaritan's Purse. Some of you give to these organizations. Guess what? They are all Christian organizations, just a few of the hundreds of Christian organizations because of Jesus trying to help the poor around the world. There's also medical care, medical care uh, that Christians have totally advanced this industry. Christians were the first, did you know this, to establish hospitals around the world. They were the first to establish hospitals for the common man. At first they were uh, homes for the poor and needy or hotels for the poor and needy. In 325 A.D., there was a a special council that the churches had that met, Council of Nicaea, and they declared at that council that for every church that was planted, there was also to be a hospital started in that uh, area as well. And that's what they did. Christians started establishing these hospitals. In uh, 311 A.D., the emperor Constantine, could you imagine this? He legalizes Christianity. Can you imagine trying to legalize a religion? But Constantine legalizes Christianity, and because of the spread of Christianity, more and more hospitals spring up everywhere for people to take care of those who are ill and need help. All because of the spread of Christianity, all because of Jesus. The list of Christians, you should look this up sometime, the list of Christians who have made medical advancements is very incredibly long from... Uh, from the, um, my goodness, the x-ray to bacteriology and things like that. What Christians have done in the medical field is just absolutely amazing. All because, what if it had not been for Jesus, right? Then there's science. What do Christianity and science have 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 together in common? Well, some of the greatest pioneers in science were inspired by their faith in Jesus. Isaac Newton Great scientist, right? Isaac Newton once said, when I look at the solar system, I see the earth at just the right distance from the sun to receive proper amounts of heat and light. And he says this, this did not happen by chance. Isaac Newton. You can look through all of 
the history of science. And, and again, just like the medical field, you can see Christian scientists who are considered the founding fathers of their branch of science. Joseph Lister, Christian anesthetic surgery. Louis Pasteur, bacteriology. Isaac Newton, calculus. Uh, Robert Boyle, chemistry. Charles Babbage, computer science. John Fleming, electronics. I don't have time to read everybody. It just goes on and on. Because of Jesus, we've made advancements in the scientific field. How about education? At its foundation, education was based in Christianity. Oh, that's not true. Oh, yeah, it is. It is very true here in the United States of America. The first 123 colleges and universities that were started here in the U.S. were started based on Christian principles for Christian purposes. Most of the languages we have today were codified by missionaries and Christian people so that they had alphabets and we can speak it and write it, write these languages. They brought the Word of God to help uh, people become literate. They used the Word of God to help people become literate. Even during the atheistic and communistic regimes, it was Christian missionaries who helped uh, develop alphabets that these atheists and communists could speak and write the language of, of their country because of Christian missionaries. The printing press was invented by Gutenberg, right? For the sole purpose, really, of mass-producing the Bible, right? So, again, education, right? After the Reformation in pagan countries like China and India, the reading uh, literacy rate was only about 10%. But in countries where reading the Bible was promoted and used as a textbook, if you will, uh, the literacy rate was often the 90th percentile. Jesus makes a huge difference in education. Here in the United States in 1647, the Puritans got together and they came up with this act called the Old Deluder Satan Act. Their goal was to educate every single child to offer public schools so that they could keep Satan from taking the Word of God from our children's lives. Could you imagine that being practiced today? But these public schools were started for the sole purpose of teaching children how to read the Bible because they were afraid Satan was taking that away from them, right? Even the schools some years ago, some of you may remember this, uh, maybe not, I don't know. I don't think many in first service remembered this, but they used curriculum that were all based in the Bible. Uh, textbooks taught the alphabet with phrases like this, A, in Adam's fall, we sinned. <laughs> B, heaven to find, the Bible mind. C, Christ crucified, for sinners died. Do you think that would happen in our textbooks today? <laughs> but this is the difference Jesus made in every area of life, right? This is how the public schools were teaching our children. It was the pursuit of a deeper understanding that led to the founding of our greatest universities like Harvard, Yale, Brown, Princeton, Northwestern. They were all founded by Christians as biblical training centers. Maybe we've lost our way as we see the controversy in these schools today. We've lost our ground as a Christian nation. Oh, but the United States wasn't founded on Christianity, was it? I beg to differ. I'm going to throw up some quotes here by our founding fathers in our country. So the United States has been changed. If it hadn't been for Jesus, we'd be a different society today. Speaking on Independence Day, July 4th, 1837, John Quincy Adam, Adams asked these questions. Why is it that next to the birthday of the Savior of the world, 
your most joyous and most venerated festival returns on this day, July 4th, right? Is it not that in the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior? Could you imagine a president pre- uh, teaching this today? <laughs> is it not that the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the, the Redeemer's mission upon earth? Jesus, right? That it laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. Our society was not built on Christian precepts. Before the pilgrims landed here in 1620, they sat in the captain's quarters of the ship and wrote what would be called the Mayflower Compact. I remember learning about this when I was a kid in school, right? The Mayflower Compact. Here's what they wrote. Very beginning of the Mayflower Compact. Having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, and that's not King James, right? That's King Jesus, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. They came to America to start a country, but more than that, they came for the glory of God and to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. We weren't built on a Christian foundation. Hmm. Wave after wave of Christian people coming to America in 1643, the pilgrims, the Puritans, they form a single covenant called the New England Confederation. Why? To unite the colonies together. These are the founding fathers of our country. They weren't Christian. Here's the one thing they agreed upon. Whereas we all come into these parts of America with one and the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity with peace. They came to America because of Jesus. They established foundations based upon Christianity. Experts estimate that at least 50 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were Christian men and women, were Christians, right? The published battle cry for the American Revolution. Anybody know it? No king but King Jesus. We weren't founded on Christian principles. Hmm. If it hadn't been for Jesus, many, if not all, facets of life today would be totally different. Maybe worse. But because God came to earth in human form, our lives are better. And if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it is truly a wonderful life. This is a wonderful life. Now, I know you want to fill in some blanks, so let's do that really quickly here. I'll give you three. <laughs> you may already have them because they're pretty simple this morning. Three benefits we have because of Jesus. Number one, he's our friend. Jesus is our friend. If you know Jesus, he's your friend. He said it in John fifteen fifteen. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is up to. I have now called you friends. Love that. He's my friend. Number two, he's my father. In the Old Testament, I don't know if you know this or not, God is mentioned as Father a whopping seven times. Could you imagine having a God who seems far away? Some of you probably can, right? You feel like God is far away. But in the New Testament, God is mentioned as Father over 150 times. What changed? Jesus was born. He makes a difference, and he wants to have an intimate relationship with us. Romans 8 and Galatians 4 teach us that when we come to Jesus, we are adopted as God's sons, his children. And therefore, we can cry out, Abba, Father. He wants an intimate relationship with us. This is how he wants to be known. And then number three, we know him as Savior. We know him as Savior. In John, uh, 1 John 4.14, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's 
Savior. How many of you got your Christmas stuff packed away already? Keeping up with the Kleins, all right. Um, we love Christmas, but our son's birthday is on the 28th of December, so we try to get all cleaned up so we can enjoy that. But anyway, it's, it's over, right? Can you believe it's come and gone? But I don't want us to forget Christmas, right? And the most important question at Christmas is not, did Jesus change the world? The most important uh, question is, did Jesus change your world? Has he made a difference? Is he your friend? Is he your father? Is he your savior? That's what I want to ask. And not only that, because Jesus has infected, uh, affected our lives, we ought to affect others' lives as well.